you to take your Bibles. Please turn again, uh, just like we did last Sunday, to Matthew chapter 7. Once again, Matthew chapter 7, which is the final uh, chapter in the three-chapter Sermon on the Mount. We have not been looking at the whole thing, but just second Sunday here on chapter 7. Appreciate Pastor Ray leading us in prayer. We are here in many ways. The central thing is for the preaching and the hearing of the word. There's no doubt about that. Um, Not because that's what I'm doing and that's what I think important, but because it really is the central thing. But in many ways, we could also say we're here to to pray and to not neglect the, uh, the joyful duty and the most important duty of the church to pray. So very appreciative of again of Pastor Ray leading us in prayer, and as I said, of all of our of our elders. Matthew chapter seven. If you're physically able, let's stand in honor of the reading of God's word. We have a brief passage today, and our text today is two verses. Although, of course, always we want to see any one or two verses in context. Matthew chapter seven, verses thirteen and fourteen. We took a big picture look last week at Matthew chapter 7. Let's zoom in. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Hear the word of the Lord. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For, verse 14, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. You can be seated. Join me in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, Our Father, we come to you and we gladly receive your invitation through Jesus Christ to address you as Father, not only on our own, but together as your people. We pray what that hymn says that we sing often. Speak, O Lord. Would you even now speak to us through your word? May we have, may I have confidence in you and in your word. And again, we're reminded of our memory verse from last week, and we thank you for your word in this particular verse that tells us, for God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You gave us not a spirit, lowercase s, but you have given us a spirit, even the Holy Spirit, And we pray for the ministry of the Holy Spirit now. Lord, help. We are weak. We look to you with confidence through your word. And may Jesus Christ be praised. Amen. 
Well, let's look and see what the Lord has for us in Matthew chapter 7. That is our text, as I've already said, verses 13 and 14. Here's the title this morning. The title is this, two ways, dot, 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 only one hard, glorious way. Let me say that again. Two ways, only one hard, glorious way. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. Sorry, I could not travel both. And be one traveler, long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. The poet goes on to say later at the end of his poem, he says, I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood and I... I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. That's the road not taken. But maybe you would say that that's uh, that's too highbrow for you. Uh, Maybe you would say Robert Frost there would be too highbrow. And so maybe you would listen instead to Rascal Flatts. And Rascal Flatts, no doubt in words that are no less profound, said, I set out on a narrow way many years ago, hoping I would find true love along the broken road. But I got lost a time or two, wiped my brow and kept pushing through. I couldn't see how every sign pointed straight to you. And now if I could ask to have your attention back for the rest of the sermon There are, my friends, there are two ways. There are two ways, and the hard way, the hard way is glorious and leads to life. In fact, it is the only way that leads to life. Look again at these two verses. Notice them again. It's only two verses. It will not hurt us. To read them again and and again. Enter by the narrow gate. That's the main thing he says there in Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide. And the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. A couple of things as we look at this text. The first is this. It's very simple. It's who is the one who says these words? We want to look at in a few minutes, we want to look at secondly, what does he say? But first of all, if I could just notice, and I know the answer may be very obvious, may be very easy. But if we could ask first of all about these two verses, who is it that says these words? Who is the one speaking in our text today? And and we know the answer to that. We know the answer is the Lord Jesus. He's the one who's preaching this sermon uh, called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. But I'm going to dig just a little deeper. It is, yes, it is Jesus. I want us to see that the one who speaks these words is the one who has all authority. Notice, if you will, with me, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the end of this chapter. 
Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 through 29. And it says there, and when Jesus finished saying, when Jesus finished these sayings, excuse me, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. You see that in Matthew 7, 28. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The, the, the pre-thing that we need to do today, before we even get into what verses 13 and 14 mean, before we even get into the lessons that verses 13 and 14 have for us today, let's, let's not skip over who it is that's saying these words. And I submit to you that he is the one who has all authority. As it says here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the the crowds were astonished. Who is this that unlike the scribes is not not constantly quoting other people? I'm going to be probably quoting some this morning. But Jesus speaks out of his own authority. He is the one who has all authority as he will say, listen, as he will say at the end of this book, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, what does he say there? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Who is the one who speaks these words today? Please notice this. He is the one who has all authority. And then glance over to the end of chapter 9. Glance with me near the end of chapter 9. We've noticed the end of the Sermon on the Mount He is the one who has all authority. And then notice that he is the one who is full of compassion. My friends, the Lord Jesus Christ is full of compassion. That's who he is. The reason we look at this is because this is the end of the entire section, which begins at the at chapter five of chapter nine, verse thirty five. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. If you'll just notice verse 35, he was teaching and proclaiming. That's chapters 5 through 7. Uh, No, the Sermon on the Mount was not in a synagogue, but it was teaching and proclaiming. And then at the end of verse 35, it says, healing every disease and every affliction. Well, that's chapters 8 and 9. Verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had what? When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly and let us do this today. Let us do this today. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Notice again what it says in verse 36. He is the Lord. He is full of compassion. And he has all authority. That's who's speaking. That's who's speaking. I want you to see Jesus. So if we were and and we're not, But if we were taking the Lord's Supper this morning, you would have a visual and a symbolic representation of Christ's body broken for our sins. 
of Christ's blood shed for our sins. And this is our hope, dear friends. This is our hope. Not not the Lord's Supper per se, but the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on our behalf. The Bible says that God made him to be sin for our sake. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For everyone who believes, for everyone who repents of their sins, consider the Lord Jesus. Consider the Lord Jesus. I love one of the, or some of the words of a hymn in our hymn book. Maybe we'll do it soon. All my days, I will sing this song of gladness. Give my praise to the fountain of delights. For in my helplessness, you heard my cry. And waves of mercy poured down on my life. Here's the the chorus. Beautiful Savior, wonderful Counselor, clothed in majesty, Lord of history. You're the way, the truth, the life, star of the morning, glorious in holiness. You're the risen one heaven's champion, and you reign, you reign over all, all my days. Is that your song as well? All my days, I will sing this song of gladness about this beautiful Savior. He says to us today, he he would say, I am the way and the truth and the life. Well, let's look directly at these verses We've seen, first of all, who it is that says these words in Matthew 7, 13 through 14. By looking at the end of the entire section, which is the end of chapter 9, he is full of compassion. He speaks hard words. He speaks direct words because he loves. We see that he possesses all authority at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in verses 28 and 29. But now let's notice these words again. Let's think about what they mean. And let's think about what they mean in context even of the whole Bible. Uh, For those of you who are familiar with flying, you think about, uh, you're familiar, of course, with the language of different gates. And you go through the airport and you go through the concourse and you go to a specific gate. And one gate may look, and in fact often does look, identical to another gate. And you go through the gate and you go through the makeshift hallway to board the actual plane. And you get on one plane that's flying to one destination. And you could, you could go through a very similar looking gate at the same airport, at the same concourse. And you could board a different plane but be going actually in quite a very different direction. Let's just notice some very basic things about this passage. First of all, Jesus says, the one who possesses all authority and is full of compassion, he says to us today, enter by the narrow gate. Now, this comes in a context uh, beginning in verse 13, going all the way through verse 27. This comes in a context where Jesus is concluding his sermon. Uh, Listen, he's pressing his point home. He's calling for decision. 
And so uh, in verses 15 through 23, in verses 15 through 23, he says there's two types of trees which bear two different types of fruit. There's two different types of fruit. And then in verses 24 through 27, he talks about two different types of foundations upon which you can build your house. So what he's doing in in verses 13 through 27 is he's pressing his point home. He's calling even you today to a decision. And he said, not only are there two foundations, not only are there two trees that bear two different types of fruits, but here today in these two verses, there are two different roads. There are two different roads in verses 13 and 14 or paths or ways. Do you see? What are the two different roads? What are they? Don't think too hard. Just make sure we've got the text. One of the roads is the easy road, right? And one is the hard road. Not only are there two roads, but there are two gates. There are two gates. There's, there's four of these twos, by the way, right here. And there's two gates, and again, don't think too hard. There's one that is the narrow gates, And there's a wide gate. There's two roads. There's two gates. There's two, this is the most important in many, there's two destinations. There's two destinations. One destination is destruction, and one destination is what? What does the text say? One outcome is destruction, and one outcome is life. And finally, not only are there two roads, there's two gates, There's two outcomes or two destinations. There are also two groups of people. Did you notice that? There are also two groups of people. On one road, namely the easy road, there are many. And on the other road, namely the narrow road, there are not many. There are few who find it. Let's press the point even further. It's simple, but think about it. There's two roads. There's a hard road, and there's an easy road, and there is no other option. There's no third road. Let's press the point and think about it. There are two gates. There's a narrow gate, and there's a wide gate, and there is no third option. There's no middle option. If there is a way that leads to destruction and another different way that leads to life, there is no other way. There's only two ways. And I remind you again of what Jesus said. Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And if there are two groups of people, then Jesus tells us, do not Make yourself comfortable and think that there is a third. No, my friend, sitting on the fence means you have made a decision already. Fence sitting. I'm not talking about if you're exploring Christianity. I'm not talking about if God has awakened your mind and heart and you're looking into things. That's not what I'm talking. I'm talking about a negative type of fence sitting. Negative type of fence sitting is to have made a decision already. There's no neutrality. There are only two ways. And in fact, we see this in the Bible. You you do not have to turn there. You can if you like, but you just take note of this. This whole idea of two ways and only two ways, 
Two ways, remember the title? Two ways, one glorious, hard way. This is actually all throughout the Bible. Psalm 1, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the seat in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked, you notice the contrast here? There's only two ways, my friend. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but, can you finish it? But the way of the wicked will perish. That was Psalm 1. You're familiar with the words of Joshua 24. Choose you this day whom you will serve. And I say to you, choose you this day whom you will serve. Do you know the context of that verse? And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will deserve. Jesus does not allow you to remain neutral this morning. Even as I read from Joshua, whose name gives birth to the name Jesus. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Look again at these two verses back in Matthew chapter 7. We've noticed that this theme, two ways, but only one hard, glorious way, we've noticed this is actually throughout the whole Bible. We've noticed that this is how Jesus ends his sermon. I've, I've mentioned already in verses 13 through 27, there's at least three, if actually not four sets of two, this way or this way. Good tree, bad tree, false prophet, truth prophet, this foundation, that foundation. What about the immediate context in verse 12? Look there with me. Look at verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. You know what that's called. It's called the golden rule. And it's been pointed out, the golden rule, just want to make sure that we see the context here. It's been pointed out that the golden rule actually appears in many places in history. And it actually appears almost always in a negative sense. Almost always in a negative way, which would sound like this. Do not do to anyone what you yourself would hate. This is not totally new, verse 12, but, it, but whenever it appears in human history, I believe whether it's Confucius or whether it's a, a certain rabbis, it's negative. Don't do to others what you would hate. But if we want to pay attention to the context, and if in a sense we want to take these three verses together, we see that Jesus actually says the positive, 
which may not seem like that big of a deal, but for Jesus to teach the positive, do unto others what you would have them do unto you actually is a big deal. Actually, it's a big deal not only to say, don't do what you would hate others to do to you, but the Christian, listen, the Christian is someone who knows and by the grace of God keeps the first and great commandment. The Christian is the person who loves the Lord his God with all his heart, with all her heart, soul, mind, and strength, and who loves his neighbor as himself. And so I would say this is a new covenant reality that comes naturally to the Christian to do, to do good, to do good, to love your neighbor. We notice the context there, not only of the whole Bible, but there in verse 12. Let me give a few lessons. Would you listen as I share a few lessons from this Passage Again, what have we seen? Two ways, two roads, two gates, two destinations, two groups. There's no third option. There's no middle way. Lesson number one. Lesson number one. Listen to me. If you're 11, if you're 81, if you're 45, you can be like most people in the world if you so choose. And like many people in the church, or we'll say the professing church, you can take the path of least resistance. You can go to Carowinds. I always use Carowinds because that's what I'm most familiar with. You can go to Carowinds and enjoy the lazy river. You can sit and coast. Let me say again what I said a minute ago. You can be like most people in the world if you so choose and like many even in the church at large. What a shame and what a sadness to say, like, listen, listen, like many in the church at large, you can go the way of the world. It's a simple, very imperfect picture, but think about a theme park. Think about a theme park, and one theme park has no turnstiles. It's got a broad opening, and you enter this particular theme park, and a hundred or a thousand people can all enter at once, And you can just have a day or a week or a month of just pure pleasure and joy. But in this weird theme park, after you've enjoyed it for however long, the only way to exit is to die. The only way to exit is to die. And then you could picture, again, in this imaginary, you could picture another theme park. It does not have a wide entrance to where a hundred or a thousand could all enter at one time. No, it's got a turnstile that must be entered what? one person at a time. Do you see? It must be entered one at a time. And, and I would go to even add to keeping with the text, the turnstile may even be old and, and it's hard to get through the turnstile. It's, it's not easy. And then you enter the park and in this particular park, you, unlike the other one, you, you enter into a park of death immediately because Jesus said, whoever would follow me, what must take up his cross and what die daily? And so you don't enter with thousands of other people. You enter one at a time through the turnstile. And the turnstile is hard in and of itself. Even entering is hard. And you enter not to pure pleasure, but you enter yes to joy. Yes to joy. But you enter to immediately to death. Daily. Taking up your cross and following the Lord Jesus Christ. But then the funnel widens. 
And on this path, which is the narrow path, it widens into life, into life. Second lesson is this. Do know. Do know, my friend, according to the word of God, hear my voice today. Do know if you choose this path, the easy way. If you choose this gate, know that you will have many traveling companions. That's a positive thing in a way, right? It sounds positive. If you choose this path, by the way, is there really any choice for choosing this path? Or is there ever a time in which human beings, Martin Lloyd-Jones brings, is there ever a time in which human beings are neutral in their lives and we're just standing there neutral looking at this option and this option? There's a real sense, right, in which the Bible teaches that we're all born on the broad way. We're all born on the broad way. If you continue to choose to go down that way, you will have many traveling companions. I want you not to be on the fence this morning. As the book of Revelation says, you are lukewarm. I would spit you out of my mouth. I would that you would be either hot or cold. Know this, know this, it will not be hard. You will not have trouble getting through the turnstiles at the front. There are many advantages, ease of entrance, ease of travel, companionship. Know this too. It leads to destruction, eternal. There is no doubt about it. It leads to destruction. As sure as the journey itself may be mostly pleasurable, as sure as the journey itself may seem mostly pleasurable, the outcome, the destination will be hell. Isn't that a word that we toss around so commonly today? Well, that man, that would be hell. We toss it around so frequently. This is hell. This is it. Look at it again. Look at the text. Look at verse 13. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. What's the narrow gate? Jesus. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Lord, 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 depart from me, for I never knew you. Lesson number one, stay with me. Lesson number one, you can be like most people in the world if you so choose, and even like many people in the church at large, you can take the path of least resistance. Do know, do know, lesson number two, that if you choose that path, you will have much ease in many ways. The end of it is destruction. Even hell under the wrath of God. Do know that the greatest thing that I can say about the narrow gate and the hard way is just simply the opposite of the broad way, and that is that it leads to life. First Peter 1.8 even though we've never seen him, we love him, we believe in him, we're filled with inexpressible and glory. Don't believe the lie that even though you must follow the hard way, Jesus is front-loading this. He is front-loading saying it will be hard. Don't believe the lie that there's no joy on the hard way. There is joy on the hard way. There is joy inexpressible and full of glory. 
But the thing that is held out to us here, the thing that's held out is that the narrow way leads to life. It leads to life. Look at verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. Jesus loves you. Jesus is full of compassion. Jesus has all authority. What a mixture. All power. All love. Not to be found in anybody like it is in Jesus. And he says, enter by the narrow gate. And he says, verse 14, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, which just means, it just means quit. You don't even have to talk about hard. In comparison to the reward, in comparison to the outcome, it's not hard. This light momentary affliction, that's why we're talking about Pastor James' brother, who we trusted. It seems that the Lord was working in his life even in the last days. We praise God for that. The way is hard. At least that's what I want to tell you. That's what I want to tell you, young people, about the narrow way. I want to tell you that it leads to life. It leads to life. And I want to tell you the same thing that Jesus says. Jesus taught people that it would be hard. The word here in verse 14 involves suffering, persecution, and opposition. If they hated me, they will hate you. Well, we could look at Matthew 13, 44, which is one of my absolute favorites. We're not going to do it. We could look at Matthew 13, 44, where the man goes and he goes to the field and he, and he finds the treasure hidden in the field and he's so ridiculously happy about the treasure that he's found in the field. At what? What does he do? He goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. What's the point of the lesson? It's joy. It's joy. Who cares? Who cares that you have to give up everything because look what you're getting. And if you really see God, if you see the Lord Jesus Christ for who he is, you will say, I do not mind. I do not mind giving up everything. The hard road doesn't bother me. I am not perfect. I am weak. God, I need your help. But oh, it is worth it because of Jesus. I do not mind. Matthew 13, 44, he sold everything he had to get the treasure. The treasure is the kingdom of God. The treasure is Jesus himself. The narrow gate is Jesus. Jesus is the way. There is salvation in no other name except his name alone. And let me close with this, and let me ask you to think about this question. And by the way, if you want some good reading this summer, there's a, a hardly a better book that you could pick up than Martin Lloyd-Jones' Studies in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a classic. It's basically his sermons in written form. It's very helpful. And he helpfully thinks about this. You know, one question you could ask in verses 13 and 14. You could ask, what about those who have never heard? And we teach at Crossway that the gospel needs to be heard. People must hear the name of Jesus and believe on Jesus or else they will face eternal damnation. But a question that most naturally may arise is, does this teach that the majority, the overwhelming majority of people in the world will not be saved? And as I close, I want you to look at Luke 13. Let me hear you turning. I discovered this. I, I know I've read it, but I've never seen it like this until I was looking at this sermon. I, I thought it was awesome. 
Luke 13, 22 through 30. What did Jesus say in Matthew 7? As you're turning to Luke chapter 13, verse 22, Luke 13, 22. What did he say in Matthew 7? He said, on the broad road, you'll have many companions, right? You remember? And what did he say about the narrow road? Few there be that find it. That's one of the the things that's not parallel with the broad. Few there be that find it. Few there be that find it. So what does that mean, that only a tiny fraction of humanity will ever be saved? You know, people ask Jesus that same question. The same question was posed to Jesus. How many people are going to be saved at the end? Luke 13, 22, he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Please look at this. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you. I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. Lord, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Jesus doesn't answer our questions the way he would like. Jesus didn't say there's going to be a lot of people saved. There's going to be a few people saved. What did he say? What did he say? He said, strive to enter through the narrow door. It's the same thing at the beginning of Matthew 13. It's the same, at Luke 13. Same thing at the beginning of Luke 13. Jesus, did you hear about these awful atrocities? Did you hear about that tower that fell on those people and killed them? Jesus, did you hear about what happened over there in the temple? Jesus, did you hear about it? I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Unless you repent, that's how. How do you enter the narrow gate? How do you enter the narrow gate? Through faith and repentance. By the grace of God, through Jesus Christ alone, through faith and repentance. Listen to me. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Do you see Jesus chose not to answer their question directly, but he did answer their question. He said, what about you? Strive to enter through the narrow door. <laughs> oh, it's worth it. Strive to enter through the narrow door by the grace of God and by the Holy Spirit. Strive. Oh, it's worth it. It's worth it because he is worth it. He is a beautiful savior. Let's pray together. Father, have mercy upon us. For we are sinners and we sin daily. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to look at this and say, well, if I sometimes walk like I'm on the broad road, does that mean that I'm destined for hell? Lord, we have, we have not arrived. 
But this we do, as Paul says, forgetting what is behind, pressing forward. We press on. We look to Christ, who is our author and pioneer of our faith. Lord, help us in your grace. May your true grace be upon us as a church and as families and as individuals. Help us to die daily to ourselves and to find true happiness in this life and in the life to come in you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.